So I wrestled kind of all week with what to preach on today because I've really enjoyed our discussion at the beginning of James so far. And to be completely honest, I wanted to keep talking about it. We're not going to, though. Not today. Next week, we'll hop back into James. Um, this week, yeah, you know, I was sitting in the office with mom and I went... I don't know what to preach on. I preached on baptism three or four times. I preached on baptism more than any other direct subject as your pastor here. Why? Because I preach on baptism every time we baptize somebody. That will change this coming Christmas. Christmas will then take the lead again. But still, I preached on baptism a lot. And I was like, I don't know. There's nothing new I can say about baptism. Heck, I preached on baptism a few months ago when we talked about the two ordinances. So Christmas won't take the lead again, actually. They'll be tied. I forgot about that one. So I did what any good pastor does when I'm struggling. I opened up Google and I searched sermons on baptism. Let's just take a look what other pastors have been talking about lately on it. And as I'm looking through, I don't even look at the sermons or the titles. I just look at the passage of scripture that they used. Because I want to know where did they go with things. And as I was searching through, this one popped up out of Romans. And I went, you know, that's an aspect I don't think I've actually spent a lot of time talking about with baptism yet. And it makes me look like a fool because three weeks ago I said we're not going to preach out of Romans for a little bit. Because God's got a way of doing that to me. I make statements and God goes, <laughs> that's funny. So we're in Romans chapter 6 today. And we're talking about being dead and being alive. We talked a lot about what does baptism symbolize and such. And I have mentioned in sermons past and in conversations past, of course, that baptism, one of the things it is, is us dying, right, when we go underneath the water, and raised into new life when we come back out of it, right? It symbolizes that. It doesn't actually do anything. Maybe you're a little cleaner than you were before, but that's strictly because you went into water and back out again. But it doesn't actually do anything. It's a symbol. But we're going to talk about that a little bit more in depth today. And what does that mean? What does that look like? What should it look like in our lives? Because even though it does not technically do anything, I know a great number of people that can trace back the change in their life to the moment they were baptized because that is when their salvation became real to them. Did baptism save them? Of course not. But it made it real to them. And I think that's an important distinction we're going to talk a little, bit, a little bit about today. Let's hop in. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And I, I read out of the New American Standard Bible, and that's what's up there on the screen. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. It reads, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died in sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died 
is free from sin. All right, let's talk about it. Number one, if you grabbed a bulletin, number one on your note sheets, grace over sin. Grace over sin. I have this verse memorized. It's in a different translation. My translation that I have memorized, and I don't know what it is. It might be New King James. It might be, I don't know. I didn't take the time to try to look through a whole bunch of different translations to find it. My my uh, memorization of this verse is, what shall then we say? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? May it never be so. I like that a little more, personally. So that grace may abound. Doesn't that sound like a great thing? We all need grace. We, every morning, every day, we need grace. Wouldn't it be good that grace is abounding? Here's the problem. We have a faulty idea of grace. Because the fact of the matter is, grace is abounding. It needs no help from you. You sin enough already. You don't need to sin more. And that's what Paul is talking about. You see, there was this idea that was coming up in the church that was saying, listen, God is a God of grace and we want grace. So if we sin, logically then, if we sin, there is more grace. Isn't that a good thing? And Paul is saying, you're an idiot. There's enough sin already. You are called, actually, not to sin. Let me prove it to you. That's what he spends the next six verses proving to the church in Rome. They don't need to sin, and in fact, they've been called out of sin. Verse 2 says, How shall we who died to sin still live in it? We've talked about this before, right? Paul is a lawyer. You read his epistles, especially Romans. You could take them out, put them in a courtroom, and it would be the prosecutor or the defense just giving their, their word out. That's how you should read what Paul is doing. So he says, listen, if you died to sin, you can't still live in it. Now, let me say this off the jump. And this is audience participation, okay? Sometimes it's not, sometimes it is. So I'm warning you now that it is, because I didn't really warn you earlier today when I asked what time church starts. So I'll warn you now. Excuse me. I'll warn you now. Then I lost my entire train of thought. Well, if it comes back around, we'll figure it out. What was I saying? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? I have no idea. I am so sorry. I coughed and I apparently coughed it out. It's gone. <laughs> well, we'll move on and we'll see what happens, right? So accepting Christ means you die to sin. It's done. I remember what I was going to say. Here we go. Does accepting Christ, this is audience participation, right? Does accepting Christ give you the power to never sin again? Yes, it does. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the power to never sin again. As a human who has accepted Christ, will you sin again? Yes. There you go. It's an important distinction. You yourself do not have the power not to sin. You never have. You never will in and of yourself. This flesh is evil. It's dirty, it's rotten, it wants what it wants, and usually what it wants is not what God wants. 
However, greater is the one living inside of you than the one living in the world. Amen? You have the power to never sin again. You will sin because you're human and you won't rely on that power every single time. I want to put that out there. So I'm not saying, listen, as a Christian, Paul is not saying as a Christian, how could you ever sin again? He understands. He was a sinner himself. In fact, he says he was chief among them. He understands. But he does say, if you are a Christian, why are you living in sin? There's a huge distinction there. Living in sin means you give in to... Let's pick, a, let's pick an easy one. You give in to jealousy all the time. You're constantly jealous of what other people have. That's living in sin. Sinning and giving in to sin at points is when you get jealous every once in a while and you go, crap, I need to go and receive grace for my sin. Do you see the difference between the two? And Paul is saying not, why do you ever sin? He's saying, why are you living in sin? Because you were baptized into Christ. Number two on your note sheets there. Baptism. Baptism. That's an easy one. Or do you not know, in verse three, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. We might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a physical representation of an internal change. I cannot see the change in your life in terms of what you look like inside. I can't, I don't have, I wear glasses, they're not x-ray glasses. I can't see inside you and go, well, they're about 50% dark, 50% light. Oh, look at that, it just changed to 51% light. That's great. I can't do that. I can't see. What I can see is your, are your physical actions. And one of those actions that the Bible commands Christians to do is be baptized. We've talked about baptism a lot. The word baptizo means to immerse. That's why we, we baptize by immersion unless there are some extenuating circumstances. I fully and I readily accept, and so does the, the church here, that there are some circumstances where a person can't be baptized by immersion. But in 95 plus percent of cases, they should be baptized by immersion. It's the example that's set in scripture. It's what the word actually means. And it's commanded in multiple places, believers be baptized. So why was it so important? When I was a kid, I used to read through parts of the Old Testament and go, wow, God laid down a whole lot of rules and none of these seem to make sense. I love ham. Two of my favorite home-cooked meals, one of them is a roast, which I'm very much looking forward to tonight as it is currently in my crock pot. The second one is a nice cooked ham. I love ham. I'm a diabetic. Our glaze for ham is 50% maple syrup, 50% honey, and a whole bunch of brown sugar. It's delicious. 
and I do not apologize. And if I get to heaven and God goes, Sam, I made you a diabetic. Why did you eat that? I'm going to go, you made ham. So as a kid, I'm like, why would God lay down all these rules? Here's the thing, right? In Scripture, I won't go out and say every rule, but just about every rule has a purpose. I don't want to alarm all of you here. Ham is not that healthy for you. Pig itself is not that healthy for you when compared with things like chicken and other things like that. I still like it. I still eat bacon, and I'm not going to apologize for it. But it makes sense that God lays down a rule that helps keep his people healthy. So we have to ask ourselves then, if God has purposes for rules, why did he make the rule for Christians, for believers, to get baptized? Was it just to set us apart, or was it something more? And I think it's something more. I think it's to help us realize the newness of life that we walk in. It's to help us realize who we have become. And that's why he commands us to get baptized. It's why I'm okay with rebaptizing somebody that's been a Christian for 20, 30, 40 years, fell away, and came back to help them realize again their newness of life. Baptism, I was saved when I was five, six years old, right around there. I was baptized when I was 16 because I finally was willing to walk fully in the newness of life that God had given me. Number three on your note sheets. Number three. Old and new. Old and new. You see, you have an old self. It is evil. It is vile. It wants to do the wrong thing. Church, as long as you're alive on this earth, you will still have that old self that you have to fight against every day. Don't pretend like you don't have to, because that's lying, and you're losing against your old self. But the fact of the matter is that if you have accepted Christ, you also have a new self. A new self. We read, I want to find it, in verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Our old self was crucified with him. It was put to death. Church, the moment you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you nail your old self to the cross. And what Paul is saying is, stop taking him down and giving him a reprieve from that cross. Leave him up there till he's dead. It'll take a lifetime, but leave him up there till he's dead because you have a new self. In order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. I've mentioned it before, church. You will always be a slave to something. Choose wisely. And when you accept Christ... You nail that old self and that sin to the cross and you're no longer a slave to it. And that's what baptism symbolizes in our lives. It doesn't nail him up there. It doesn't change us the way salvation does. But what it does do is allow us to proclaim, I've made this choice and I want everyone to know it. Here's the great thing, one of the great things about baptism. 
every person that sees you get baptized, these two are two of the ones that are getting baptized today. So I'm talking to you guys too, right? You guys getting baptized means that every single person in this room and watching online is now accountable to keeping you accountable to the life you've chosen to walk. We're not supposed to do this alone, and one of the things about baptism is we proclaim it to the people around us, the Christians around us, to say, help me keep walking this newness of life. I can tell you I've been saved, or I can show you I've been saved. Do both. And verse 7 is one of my favorite verses in this whole thing. It's short. For he who has died is free from sin. Church, if you are not dead in Christ, you are not free from sin. You are not free from its bondage, from its chains. You are still held captive by it. But the moment you proclaim Christ as Savior and accept him, those chains are broken. It's done. I'm not saying you're going to have an easy life. I'm not saying that if you've been addicted to something, that it's just going to go away immediately then. What I am saying is that it no longer has to chain you. You now make the choice. Are you going to walk out of the jail cell that the door was ripped off of, or are you so comfortable there you're going to sit there and allow sin to still rule your life? This all comes back to what baptism shows us. Do you mind running and letting mom know that we're closing up. Thank you, sir. See, we have two kids that are getting baptized as well, and she needs to start getting them ready because they take a little longer than adults. You guys, if you need to change, you're welcome to go and start getting ready too. Perfect. I'm ready too. I just have to take the microphone off. That's what baptism's about. Showing the change in you. You are dead to your old self, and you are living in your new self. Don't ever go back to that old self. Don't ever sin so that grace may increase, so that grace may abound. No, there's enough grace to go around. God doesn't need your help to make more grace. But instead, choose to walk in the newness of life that is given to you the moment you've accepted him. Would you pray with me? Father, we lift you up this morning. I thank you for the institution of baptism, that you gave us this thing to help us, remind us of what has happened inside of us, and to give us a physical moment that we can point back to and say, look at that moment. Father, I just praise you for that. And I ask that you would help each and every one of us, whether we've been baptized or not, to walk in the newness of life. And Father, it's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen and amen.